From the rolling hills and green, green areas of Nebraska, this is The Other Kind Radio. We're starting things off maybe a little bit differently on this Sunday morning as we record it. This is Todd. I'm actually going to lead you in because as Jeff has talked about, oh God, I can't even think for how many weeks now, I'm actually here in Nebraska with Jeff. Now the crazy thing is, is that the the lovely place where he always puts me for makeup, I've got him in that area today. I said, get away from me and let me have a moment with the mic. I want to talk to our kind listeners and kind of let them know what my perspective is. So I, I come in here yesterday morning, and uh, as my plane approached, I this will shock no one that knows me. I decided to cue up my favorite Bruce Springsteen album, Nebraska. It's a little obvious. If I saw that as a piece of art, I'd even think that's a little obvious, but I liked it. So we come in, we land. I hear Bruce singing about the, the, the lovely struggles of people just simply trying to find a way to get by. Rain's coming down. It couldn't have been more perfect to step out to a cool breeze. And Jeff then tells me, hey, I'm coming very, very soon. And I end up standing outside for quite a while. And I look at other cars go by. Now he told me he's I'm in I'm in a white Ford and it's got a it's got Texas plates on it. I'll be there. I waited. I waited a little longer. I actually had to text Jeff and say, Okay, we really are doing this. I'm really supposed to be here. But lo and behold, Jeff showed up. You know, and I'm pretty sure at this point, I, I hear him giggling in the background, which tells me that the makeup girl can't control Jeff. No one can control Jeff. Jeff is his own person. Jeff, you are done with makeup, aren't you? I mean, you I, I see you over there. Are you afraid to get to the microphone? Because you, I mean, let me say, you look beautiful. <laughs> Thank you so much. I you just realized as soon as I started playing the uh, the tune in that we don't need to because we're, we're right here. Uh, so that's my fault. You know what? I kind of like the tune in anyway. For the, for the bad production. Uh Welcome, kind listener. Welcome to the show. Welcome, Todd. What Todd doesn't know is I was actually right around the block and was <laughs> making him wait on purpose at the airport. So you were watching me as I stood out there kind of twisting around I going, was, um, I was placing bets with strangers on how long it would take for you to, uh, to stand there before you called me. Well, I actually did do a geotag to make sure I was in Nebraska, <laughs> that you hadn't booked this flight and sent me somewhere else. Right. The surprise on you. You're, you're in... Uh, South Dakota. Yeah, suddenly then I did have to change from Springsteen to something about whatever you put me in the United States. And I couldn't find another so, a, another album to listen to. I can say South Dakota because I don't think we have any listeners in South Dakota We're going to get one today. We're going to get one and they're going to be mad. Well, welcome. 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 Welcome to studio. Uh, folks, this is this is one of those times I wish you had a backstage pass. Uh, just just in what we had to do to kind of get where we're at. And, and let me tell you. It's not just because my face is involved, but it's not pretty. Um, the mic is is precariously uh, attached to the table. 
<laughs> the headphone jack we have that we bought from Target, uh, it has a mind of its own. So we don't know what's going to happen uh, today. Yeah, but we don't care. That's, That's right. kind of the point of this is to do it. So, you know, what is Headphones. that? Oh, yeah, that would have worked, wouldn't it, Jeff? So, so Jeff has... The poor thing. I mean, my poor sweet friend all day has been, okay, I, I don't have headphones. I don't have, uh, and I'm sorry, we have to do lingo. I don't have cans for you. I don't have cans for you. So I happen to have earbuds with me, and I'm like, we got earbuds, then we don't have a connector, then we don't have a cord. This poor thing has been just losing his mind. Then we get here, and then I leave everything in the car, and it's like the third time we're getting on the elevator, and I'm like, I've got to go back to the truck. He's like, what's, what's it now? I said, I, I forgot the adapter. <laughs> Every time it was, I forgot this, I forgot that. And that last time, I thought you were kidding. You kind of threw the water bottle, and I thought, oh, now he's just, he's having a Nora Desmond moment. Oh, speaking of which, I need to, I need to get my water at some point. No, we're not moving. We're not moving. I'll drink this water. This is, yeah, probably a couple of days old. It's fine. As Jeff stuff. now starts spitting up blood right, from exactly. it. Exactly. Well, welcome, kind listener. Um, this is a, a, a big episode uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, one, of course, Todd being here. Two, we are closing out the AFI 100. Um, we are going to be done with it. We are uh, moving on to other topics. And for all of all of the kind listeners out there who um, are kind of ready to move on, we appreciate your patience. Uh, again, this was definitely something that uh, when we first started doing, I didn't think was going to be the undertaking that it has been. But um, but we saw it through. That's right. We saw it through. It. And I will have to say, after today's discussion, um, it's definitely worth it. I feel that I have a greater appreciation for film. And 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 we've got new projects in line that, that we've been talking about since Todd's been here. And it's it's just it's an exciting time. Uh, so we'll just run, kind of run through the laundry list of things that we, we've got to, of course, uh, we always encourage you to contact us, Jeff at the other kind radio, Todd at the other kind radio, info at the other kind radio, all dot com. Uh, we're on Twitter, uh, and uh, you know if you're listening on Stitcher or iTunes um, or SoundCloud, feel free to take a moment, give us a rating, let us know because the only way we're going to get better is through your feedback and uh, communication with us as far as the show. I uh, do want to mention real quickly that, uh, and thank everybody, the 13th Annual Podcast Awards at podcastawards.com. Nominations are now closed. We'll find out on August 11th if we made the cut and we're on the list uh, in line for an award. So we'll let everybody know about that. But if you took the time to, to nominate us, uh, after I've mercilessly been plugging it for the last couple of weeks. Thank you so much for doing that. And uh, hopefully we'll, we'll make the list and, and uh, be a part of that. It'll be kind of fun. Um, and if we don't, we'll, we'll softly cry. And, and if you're going to rate and review us, I'm very fragile. Make it very nice. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah, be, be, not, be honest. Be nice to Todd, but you can tear me apart. That's right. That's fine, yeah. Man, if this was not jeff and todd if it was just todd i would listen to todd <laughs> but jeff he weighs it down he, he, he is a he is a time suck right exactly and like i said in the last last uh podcast i really think my and i've been putting some feelers out about being a secret agent where you know if the enemy has a bunch of scientists in a room i can go in and just lower the collective iq <laughs> and bring everybody down and save the world uh, maybe that that's a superhero that maybe that's a, a marvel uh superhero that needs to be creative um so, uh, once again, uh, Podcast Awards, thanks again for everybody. Uh, we're going to go ahead and just get rolling. Um, we've got the top five films today. I'm really excited about talking uh, through these. And uh, But before we get to that, we're going to go ahead and roll with our usual Todd's take on. Let me fire up that projector. 
And Todd, what's your take on this week? Man, that projector is even louder when you're here in person with it. <laughs> Good <laughs> Christ. <laughs> okay, so let's put a feeler up. We can get a new projector somewhere that's a little more, you know. A little quieter. Yeah. Okay. Uh, my take, I think Jeff, you know, we talked about this last night because of traveling. I was having a hard time finding something. Did we talk about me doing a, a take on travel? Uh, oh, t- you, t- you know, I, I think it was a take on a kind of a, a take on Omaha and what you've experienced so far. So uh, let me, let me, let me start. But it by, can be whatever you want. Yeah. Well, well and what I have to, sh- I want to set the stage that, you know, Jeff again has been so gracious to essentially fly me up here using his frequent flyer miles. I hope you don't mind me. No, no, sure that's that fine. Everybody. And so at the same time, he thought I want Todd to get up as early as absolutely possible. <laughs> so I had to get up at four ten in the morning, uh, which oddly, I, I am already one of those people that wakes up just like that. At four ten, I rolled over and my eyes opened right as the cl- the clock rolls over and nice. the alarm comes on. I get to the airport. What I told Jeff is that for some reason it was an odd experience right away because I followed this. Hispanic woman carrying a guitar who I guess is a professional musician and her husband had to take a photo of everything she did as she boarded the plane she stopped and looked back so it was already this everywhere oh, we boy. went I had those kind of things a little early for that yeah and it, it, it felt that way but it that at least set the stage for okay now I'm just gonna have a calm flight and it really was a great flight but you know my my expectation of coming up here I, I know that I've been through Nebraska as a kid when my parents would take us on driving vacations I haven't been here in easily 40 years i had right. i had no expectations other than i expected it to be much flatter uh much more you know just straight plains with with <laughs> with cornfields everywhere i didn't know what to expect i will tell you if you've never been here find the time to get up here because coming from texas right now where we had a heat wave of 106 to 108 degrees in you know, 10 days in a row i believe what it was which i told jeff i said it went from green to brown in a matter of 10 days you come up here and this is just breathtakingly beautiful up here uh, we look around and you, jeff will at least attest to i think the first 15 minutes of conversation we had was me going oh my god oh my god look at oh my god it's beautiful <laughs> so what i love right away also is that we come here i walk into a coffee shop that jeff and his dad frequent and i'm treated like i'm around a celebrity he's like hey your dad's he's gonna be jealous you're here without him and everywhere we go everyone has been so gracious so kind and i was telling jeff that after having gone to cape cod where you know for vacation where the people were nice but it could be that you if you bought a ferry ticket they were like what do you want huh? what yeah. do you want well i come here and we we go for breakfast and the lady couldn't have been more gregarious and there with us just absolutely loved this area yeah it, it's it's been it's been it was a perfect day i was I, it hadn't rained here in a while so it actually was good that it rained kind of cool things down but but uh for those uh uh, in the Omaha metro area that are listeners. We uh, we started out in Benson. We went to a place called uh, Beercade, which is basically an arcade where they serve some beers. We which we to, never played any games. We didn't. We didn't. We got so involved in talking. Um, then we went to uh, we went to the brewery in Benson and had some beers there. And then we went down to the old market and hit the usual spots. Billy Frogs, Mr. Toad's, the Dubliner. Um, and uh, I think, yeah, maybe another place or two in there and got to see the old market, which, of course, is the main. That's kind of our that's our uh, our fireworks crescendo is mm-hmm. the, you know, the area to go down there and be able to uh, kind of show. So that was fun. Um, we did that and then uh, uh, made some dinner and, and had that. So um, 
Uh oh, Jeff didn't put his phone on mute. I'm the didn't. one that was actually a good boy. Did you do you recognize that sound? It's R2D2. Yeah. Are you kidding? I'm a Star Wars nerd. Of course I do. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I uh, I'm glad you've had a favorable review so far. You've, you, yep, there we go. Yeah, Jeff there just unplugged our headphones. There we go. Oh Lord. Okay. I see. I can't. I'm trying to look at you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, at you, but I can't because <laughs> if I move, the headphones are going to come out. Did you know I was coming this week? <laughs> this is awful. This hey, is could awful. You, I do this for a living, you know, and and, <laughs> and so you couldn't figure out how to pre-pro this. And Jesus, exactly. you just suck. It would have been it would have been so much smoother. But this is going to create the. Uh, By the way, my mic is angling more down. It's okay. You just stay where you are right. because in about five minutes, I'm going to be over here looking at you. <laughs> Folks, we're falling to pieces here, and that's okay. Um, so I'm, I'm glad it's favorable. Was there anything else you want to throw in there about Omaha? Uh, you know, I, I think that encapsulates it pretty well. I, I am just, I, I love going to places, and this is what I related, I think, with Cape Cod, that my wife and I love going to the small downtown areas. And w the fact that you kept taking me to these areas that are older buildings that have been revitalized, I love that kind of atmosphere. I don't, I don't mind new architecture. I don't mind these kind of things, but I want to see places where people go, Hey, that's, that's a really great area. Yeah. And it just seems like in this place, everywhere I turn where we went yesterday for lunch and walked around, it was whatever that restaurant was that we went down into it. Uh, V Mertz. Oh my God. That's yeah. a beautiful location. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I, I can drink that stuff. But unfortunately, in Dallas, what we do with those is they develop a thing called the West End, and they crap all over it, and then they shut it down, and it's never been used again, and then they throw up 50 new buildings. And right. it, it, they just don't do this enough. I, I love this area. Fantastic. Well, I'm, I'm glad we got to do that. I'll go ahead and uh, power that projector down. Thank you, Todd, for your take on. I know I can't remember. We talked about so many things. I can't remember what Jeff Judgment's going to be on today. Um, what, was it? Todd in person, overrated or not? No, <laughs> not at all. Uh, so in in the uh, in the uh, with the, with the technical situation here and and not knowing what's going to happen, I'm going to forego Jeff's judgment. Um, this week we'll pick it back up because we've got our films we want to get in because we we uh, as much as we love the kind listener and doing the show, we are going to record this up and then. Uh, head over to the parental units uh, home and yes. uh, hang out and, and visit. So I, I am both thrilled and terrified that I'm going to walk in and they're going to look and go, seriously, number one, he's about as big <laughs> as one of the midgets from singing, in, uh, not singing, mm, Wizard of ba, Oz. He, he looks like a mu ba, munchkin. Mm, ba, dee, um, then they're going to come in and go, wait, he's not that interesting in person. Right. So, and yeah. mine is that they're going to unadopt me and adopt you. That already happened. I, I got the paperwork <laughs> on that. That's what Papa's being so uh, secretive about. All right, so let's 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 get to the meat of it here because this this we're going to have a lot of um, good things to say about what we're going to discuss today. Uh, I have seen all of these movies. Uh, most of them have been recently, <clears throat> and uh, let's do it. Let's close this. Uh, let's close this out. We're going to start in the year 1952 uh, with the fifth spot, a surprisingly good movie. I say that because everybody else is going to be like, yeah, but I, for seeing it for the first time, it's uh, Singing in the Rain. So this is 1952's Singing in the Rain that tells the story of a silent film production company and a cast who make a difficult transition to sound. That, that you know, Jeff and I talked yesterday about the discipline of screenwriting is 
that when we read these, these are called, these are pitches. And usually a pitch has at least two sentences. I don't think I've ever read a better one sentence description of a movie. Yeah. So Singing in the Rain is considered to be just about as perfect of a movie musical as you can get. And, and having seen this countless times because my sister loves this, I, it was only later as, as a young man that I began to watch it and go, oh my God, that is beautiful filmmaking. And, and why is that? Because anytime you have a film like this, I, I've talked at nauseum about musicals. The reason a musical works, the reason a uh, an action film with endless machine gun bursts work is, works because that emotion at that moment has reached a height where the only thing they can do is sing or pull out a machine gun that never stops and runs out of bullets. This is the most perfect example of why that can work. And and Jeff has one, and I want you to touch on when you think is the exact moment that it's a beautiful uh, transition to a song. For me, it's the very, very classic song, Singing in the Rain. Yeah. When he is so in love, that singing in the rain, and it's just, at, first of all, if you've never seen Gene Kelly in a true great moment, watch this moment, because it really, the man dances so fluidly that it almost, it doesn't look like dancing, it just looks like him. It. I, I don't know what other yeah. way to say that. No, it doesn't look forced and it doesn't look choreographed. Yeah. It's a guy that's got some good news and, you know, obviously rain is associated with, you know, oh, it's raining. Mm-hmm. And he goes full head into and gets completely wet because he's stomping around and doing everything. But it, it's a it's a great moment. I, I, want, I want to let you finish it because I'll get into my thing. But, yeah, it's, it's great. So this was also a... a co-directorial effort and I don't know if the film credits this now I know that Stanley Donnan is often credited as the director yet Gene Kelly also co-directed and what he directed was the musical numbers themselves it's much like when Robert Wise and Jerome Robbins did West Side Story right um Jerome Robbins was the choreographer and he would turn to um uh, Robert Wise and say you know what are we doing camera but it really was Jerome Robbins it's the same thing here and it is just Jeff was even watching one of the scenes last night which I believe is is that the song you want to talk about yeah yeah and there's a camera move in that where they the camera move goes low and they come up and it's just this joyous burst of humanity coming at the lens and and that's to have a director and a choreographer both understand how that camera can do that that's right. magic so talk about that moment in the film so i mean first i want to i want to say that you know singing in the rain d- does everything right when it comes to what i don't like about musicals and, and from a very young age my issue with musicals is is how does everybody know the, the words how are how are you walking and singing and then the grocery person knows the choreography and the song that you decided to spontaneously start singing yeah so that's always to me, and and and, and it, it always pulls me out of the film. And so, one, uh, the, this film does an excellent job. First of all, it's a movie about making a movie. It's also very significant because it's addressing the fact that now sound is being put to movies. So you hear, you have scenes where people are going like, "Oh, that'll never last." You know, that's that's stupid. So there's the uh, the technical part, which which the industry I'm in, I'm I'm interested in kind of how that technology has moved across, but um. My favorite moment is, you know, they've shot this movie. They're having some issues with it. They've got to figure out how they're going to fix the movie. And Gene Kelly and Debbie Reynolds, and I can't remember the other cat's name. As soon as you say that, uh, Donald and Connor. Yeah. They stay up all night, and they, you know, come up with a solution. And, you know, they, they... they come up with a solution and then they look outside and they're like, oh, it's morning, you know. I said, oh, we've been up all night and everything. And then Debbie Reynolds 
you know, chimes in with good morning, good morning. And then the song is conversational and they're all actors. They're all performers. So then it becomes almost like a, a jazz ensemble where each one of those characters take a portion of the song to say what they're going to say, which is either, you know, we stayed up all night. It's so good to see you. Da da da. And then of course, uh, when they start dancing and everything. So all of that, I was always pulled in because they're performers, playing performers, and this is something I could literally see them right. doing. Yeah, that They were va- basically vamping together at that yeah. moment where they're playing off each other. So, And I said this to Jeff yesterday. I, th- this film, I, I've always said there's a triple feature that needs to be had with this movie, and that is that anyone out there who wants to experience it, this is what I'm going to ask you to do. You, I want you to pick a silent film, be it City Lights that I love or The General that mm-hmm. Jeff loves. Yeah. Pick your silent film. And then I want you to watch two films. I want you to watch this one, and I want you to watch Sunset Boulevard because they're both – they're opposite ends of the spectrum yeah. of what happened with Hollywood at the onset of sound. Yeah. What happened to these people? Singing in the Rain has a great conceit in that it's to an extent about how the beautiful faces were replaced with other voices. Yeah. And that's the same thing that happened to Norma Desmond essentially is that she was her, her plight is that she's, removed from it because she didn't have the voice and so she's lost that oh what an annoying voice (laughs) it's awful but i mean you just they're they're really the same film yes in many ways it's just that this one's a murder mystery this one's a joyous musical so to me you could have a great experience again i put aside if you don't love movie movie musicals yeah listen to what jeff's saying it really does work on a level that is above most others it's it's a it's a good movie. Uh, it's enjoyable, um, borderline film. But again, uh, to me, it's it's not heavy. It's it's a good story. It's funny and and doesn't require uh, many uh, brain cells to be firing. You know, to, to to enjoy it. It's it's definitely good. Do, do you disagree? And think are you going to call it a film? Well, hang on. I'm I'm going to explain that yeah. because we haven't explained to the listener what we mean by that. We, haven't, we, we haven't. talked yesterday and and. I don't recall how the conversation came up, but it really was, okay, there's the term movie, there's the term, I forget what you called it. There was, and I introduced the idea of film. And I think I called, it a, I called it a talkie. Uh, you called it something. <laughs> it was like, there's a movie and there's this. And I said, okay, can I tell you what, I, I think you, I'm sorry, I'm thinking out loud. I think yeah, what yeah. you may have said was, there are movie movies and there are movies. It was yeah. like that. And I, it was something I said, can I offer what I say? Very limited vocabulary on this side. Yeah. yeah. Well then look what I do with it. Whenever <laughs> I'm trying to recall your limited vocabulary. Um, what I said to him is I've always kind of looked at this. There are movies and those movies are things that are meant to transport you for two hours and completely make you forget that you can't pay your electric bill when it's 106 for 10 days in a row. Right. Then there are films. And we're going to talk about the granddaddy of films today. So with the top five then, I mean, is this, is Singing in the Rain, is it a film or it's is it a movie? It's 100% a film because okay. it, but I want you to think again. What I just find was a film is one that takes the medium of cinematic arts and elevates it to an art. So I want you to strip away. And what did you say that is so masterful about this is that they found a way to yeah. get rid of what you hate. That's filmmaking. They yeah. found an artistic way to explain away what you've never been able to yeah. give them. So film, yeah. film to me is that moment where they find a way to transcend. Yes. And I think this one does transcend. It, it is a film. I, I like that discussion. Um, I, to me, and this is just me, you know, just spitballing here. To me, I think a film 
has a connotation of not being really enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is <laughs> we're getting a little a little goofy here, but that's why I called it a movie because to me it was entertainment. But you're right, it is a film. It's obviously a film. It's, it's shot wonderfully. There's so many techniques and things that they do that are fantastic. Uh, growing up, my dad and I, uh, my parents would often show. You know, this is back in the day we didn't have the Netflix and everything. One of the things whenever we had company over relatives in town, we would watch. Uh, that's that's dancing, which is a documentary about. I think you've told me about yeah. that. Yeah, and I, it was pleasant to see in Singing in the Rain where he does the dance with the woman in the white dress with the very long kind of train. Yep. That that it's uh, part of this. So yeah, definitely a film. But but um, well, and, can, can I throw something into yeah, that? Yeah, I, yeah. I think that you you touched on something with this whole I call it movie yeah. or a film. A film can still occupy the idea of a movie. It can still transport you, but it creates an artistic statement that is above right. simple moviedom. So Transformers by Michael Bay is never going to be, in my opinion, a, a film. film. It's a movie. Where Star Wars can be an absolute, the absolute popcorn movie of all time. Yeah. Yet it is a film because it took things that shouldn't have worked. Same with Singing in the Rain. It took elements and it told his story in a way yeah. that made it push above just simply being a movie. That's it, it's, that's well said. Um, I love it when you tell me I say things well. <laughs> I need to. Get, I need you around in my life right? all the time, just, just behind a, me. Just a button. Yeah, that's well said, Tom. That's because I said so. <laughs> you said that very well. That was well done. Thank you. <laughs> Don't need you. I'm fine. Okay, that's, m- move along now. Move along now, Jeff. Okay, because I'll keep going. <laughs> with keep us going. here in the same room, I, I don't have to worry about it gating each other out, and I can just say, come on, Jeff. Hey, hey. Yeah, no need to type on the run sheet and move along. <laughs> um, so, uh, excellent film of a movie or a movie that's a film, however you want to trace it, 1952, fifth place, and I am wholeheartedly sold on the position of this movie. Without it's, question. It's right there. Um, folks, if there's anything you take away, and I, I don't, I know there's some of you that are like, you know, 100 through, you know, 91 or 81. Really? I get it. This is the meat of it. If you want to see something and enjoy it and kick back and relax and forget about your power bill, Singing in the rain is perfect. It's very easy to digest, bite-sized. Yeah. So that's it. I'm sorry, that's fifth place, Singing in the Rain, 1952. We're going to shift gears. We're going to go from first gear to reverse, you know, going going 20 miles an hour, uh, and switch up to um, 1980, uh, a film that, that Todd and I have already kind of discussed, uh, and I'll be interested to, to discuss more with him. Number four, uh, the, the film Raging Bull. All right, so this is Martin Scorsese's film, and I said film, that tells the life of boxer Jake LaMotta as the violence and temper that leads him to the top of the ring destroys his life outside of it. Okay, so Jeff immediately said, doesn't belong here. I mean, I'm going to ruin that for you, and I'm going to say that, and that's kind of the conversation we had last night. This is not a pleasant movie to watch. No. It is not. Now, I did think late last night... um, while I'm lying in bed and you're just away, a room away from me asleep, which may be the most unromantic, <laughs> romantic thing I've ever said about it. Um, I, I got to thinking about Raging Bull a bit, and you made mention of, oh, seen this stuff in Good- Goodfellas. Yeah. But you saw Goodfellas before you saw this. This yeah. came before Goodfellas. So if anything, Goodfellas is a derivative of this. Very true. And look, I think Scorsese, it belongs in the modern conversation of the greatest filmmakers to emerge in America since 1970. I think that is even without question. His relationship with his uh, longtime editor, Thelma Schoonmacher, I believe is how you say the last name. I always look at it and I think I can't decide if it's Schoon or Schoonmacher. I don't know which, but it's one of those. 
the two of them have a relationship that is on display in this film where the editing is just, oh my God, it is it is so luxuriously done that she finds ways to cut on flashbulbs. She finds ways to cut where on the, the explosion of a punch that are just, they would define what would come later. And yeah. so what Scorsese does with this and what Scorsese does beautifully, this, this is a man that truly grew up in many ways on the mean streets of New York. Uh, being, I, mean, I am quoting his original film, Mean Streets, but he understands a lot of this behavior. His films are very violent. People do not hold back temper. And I think this may be his great crescendo of all that type of filmmaking in this film. But I will tell you honestly, it is, again, it's not an easy film to watch. But as I say that, I think of the moment when uh, Kathy Moriarty is sitting on the side of a pool and her legs are going through the water. And I, it's, it's a shot that you look and you think, that's a master filmmaker finding a way to say this man is, if this isn't love, this is a sexual obsession that will most likely end poorly. And he finds that simple way to do that and show us that all he can focus on are the legs in the water. Va va boom for her, definitely. Yeah, she and she was fantastic. This is a great, great, great movie. I would, I would agree with you. I don't put it in the top five for me, right? But it belongs top twenty, right? I, I think it belongs. Oh in there. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I think they're going to be a lot of people. Uh, is Rocky on this list? I don't recall now. Yeah, like, yeah, oh yeah. It's down. I, it's down uh, in the seventies, I believe. So, so you know, Rocky is a much more of a cloud, cr- uh, crowd pleasing. Ooh, that's a debate we could have. Is that a film or a movie? Rocky? Yeah, that's that's a that's a movie just about as perfect as you can say it. I don't know that I think it ever elevates itself. I do think it's a vastly forgotten and underrated film. I think a lot of people look at what Sylvester Stallone became and kind of poo-poo it. Yeah. But if you put what is the better, Raging Bull or Rocky? You're right. Pulp Fiction's on here. Okay. Sorry, I, folks. Yeah, we had a conversation earlier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're... <laughs> That's what you get when you put Jeff and I in the room. We're going to have conversations. It's often like my wife will, will look at me and go, well, of course we need to do that. And I'm like, wait, you didn't tell me the first of that conversation. I thought the Lyft driver was just going to drop us off because we started getting into the movies. When we were... Oh, that is true. So a funny aside, we, we get a Lyft driver and we tell him we're doing this. And, and Uh-oh. Got it. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm back on there. Um, <laughs> so we tell him we do a podcast and literally we start going into movies and the guy's like dude i felt like i listened to it that was awesome but let's get back to raging bull raging bull is without question 57 rocky okay 57 it is a fantastic film and if you put rocky next to raging bull i don't think there's anybody in the world that would say that rocky is a better made film Mm. than Mm. raging bull and when i use that term i'm just using that as inclusive this is film cinematic art it's a better film rocky's probably more enjoyable to watch right so as we get into the top five here, like that old song, one of these things is not like the others. Mm-hmm. This for the top five, according to AFI, this is not a movie that you that is arranged or designed where it pulls you in and you are eager to experience it. It is violent and i'm not just talking about the the boxing the boxing part of it was like uh, that was nothing to me i know probably at the time it was quite shocking but the the physical abuse the 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 positioning that that's taken on women and how to treat them and stuff to me was more brazen and more in my face but i did not find myself watching this movie i found myself reacting to this movie um, the storyline, I you know, again, and I'm as I'm, I'm learning to do this, I, I do things during the movie, and I say, well, okay, where am I at? You know, mm-hmm. am I am I pulled into the story? Am I am I 
Uh, am I excited to see what happens? Storyline, and maybe it's because I've watched a lot of movies, I knew it was going to happen immediately. And that's probably because I've seen Rocky and, and other boxing-type movies. Um, and when you start to, when, when De Niro would get upset and you knew that he was going to start beating on, on a woman or, or whatever, to me it was very difficult not to just to hit fast forward and just get through it. Yeah. So uh, with all due respect to Mr. Scorsese, who will probably never hear this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, Marty, if you do, I'd love to work for you. Yeah, 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 Marty, yeah, yeah. If, if, yeah, please hire me. Put, me. put me in a movie. Um, but, um, I, I just, it just, it, it, again, it was more, more of a reactionary type of, of, uh, uh, element for me for, you know, an experience. It, I was not, I didn't, I didn't care about any of the characters. I didn't really care about what happened to him at the end. I was kind of like, well, yeah, you deserve that. Right. So I never built that emotional tie, uh, to, to the main characters. With all that being said, I understand its relevance. I understand its reason for being here. Mm -hmm. I understand the uh, impact and the uh, the effect it's had on films after it was made. Without question. Yeah. Especially, and it is truly, the boxing scenes, if you watch even the way Rocky was shot just four, yeah. four or five years before this to what he does here, and then to be able to take that violence in the ring and say violence is violence. And it almost it almost feeds itself and it never stops and that's what he does yeah. outside the ring too. I do want to ask you about the scene at the end where they lift uh, verbiage from on the waterfront, mm -hmm. where he re it's De Niro in a dressing room, old, overweight, mm -hmm. not very pretty with all of his boxing damage that's been done over the years. Which De Niro really did gain that weight. That's very yeah. famous. Yeah, he's fat as anything. Um. And then he recites the whole, I could have been a contender. That irritated me. Really? Yeah. Because, and, and, and I could be wrong. I mean, that's the great thing about having these discussions is, I'm like, to me, and maybe it's because I had just seen it. Mm -hmm. I'm like, really? You couldn't write your own? I understand why he's doing it. And I probably, Scorsese did it out of love and respect of that film and what probably an impact he had on on him maybe when he watched it but to me i just saw it as like okay we got we got now i don't know why he talks like that uh, it, it, we got five ten minutes left in the movie we need something oh we'll just lift that 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 little monologue that brando gave and then he goes into his like i'm the boss i'm the boss i'm the boss and he does this little weird noise thing before he goes on stage so you have to remember this is a true story this is based on a true person. And oh, well, at the end of Luana's, I, I believe the end of his career that he was doing anything, uh, from what I understand, he would quote that. And okay. so Scorsese you know, chose to. And here's the thing as a director, at that point you can have him go, I'm singing. Yeah. And that probably would have been a little bit more jarring. <laughs> What's fun is that then Paul Thomas Anderson, years later in Boogie Nights, the film ends famously almost on the exact same thing with Dirk Diggler yep. sitting in front of a mirror. Of course yeah. he exposes himself, but it's the exact same idea. You're right. That, uh, that, but he didn't start quoting Brando. No, but he didn't. So imagine this, that why is that shot that way? Why is it? Because he's looking at a reflection of himself. And so he's, he's now actually turning the mirror on the character to look back at themselves. Yeah. And the best he can do is come up with a facsimile of what he could have been. And even what he could have been is yeah. a lie. Yeah. 
See, you're you're so much better educated when it comes to this. But what I like about what, what we bring to these conversations is it's that it's I'm all, right and you're wrong. Well, sure. Yeah, okay. I mean, that's that's all my life. But um, <laughs> that I don't know why. Right? I don't know why. But I I I have bad feelings about this movie. I, I get that because yeah. the funny thing is, is you know, we talk all the time that your dad listens to this the show. My dad is eighty two, and if I told him I'm on a podcast, he'd probably think that means I need to get some penicillin or something. <laughs> um, but I, but I, I get it, I get well, it, and I hear everything you're saying, and I and you're, the re- well, and you the reason, are right. You are the reason right. I brought that up though is yeah. that my dad, if he heard this, go, oh, I hate that movie. He yeah. hates Scorsese. He hates him with a passion. And I'll, I'll try to say, but dad, God, look at his use of cinematic language. And if you're going to ask me, I would rather put Taxi Driver at this point. I, Taxi Absolutely. Driver is just a monumental movie yes. that to me does have an impact from there on out. You can be, you begin to see even how it forms Scorsese's career. Yes. Um, and it's got a score by Bernard Herman, who did the score for Citizen Kane. I mean, it's got yeah. so many great things. So I wouldn't put this here. Okay. Um, but I totally get it. There, yeah. uh, my wife won't watch Scorsese. She's like, I don't want to see any more violence. I, I don't want to see it. I'll put it this way. Out of these top five, this mm-hmm. is the only film I will never probably ever watch again. I've watched a couple of these movies we discussed multiple times just mm-hmm. between the week that we had to do it. So, Well, uh, I think that if, if you and I were in a room together, it would be a film that I said, look, we've talked right. often about doing right. something like that and trying me to give my perspective on what I understand, teach Jeff some of it too. I, it right. is a film that you can watch and go, now watch what he does here and remember there's a callback here. And yeah. it, So it's, it is a master class, but I will tell you this, I don't put it on when I want to watch a movie. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> right? And I think that speaks a little bit to its placement and where it should be and how it's remembered because, you know, it's, to me, part of the longevity and the reasons for climbing the spots is it's one where you're like, yes. And yeah. this, is, this is one where I'm like, I'll see it because I understand in order to, to, to even pretend to talk about, like I know anything about film and to further my education, I'm, it's required reading, uh-huh. but it's like, it's like that one, it's, it's that last bite of, 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 of broccoli or whatever your least favorite vegetable is where you're right. just like, okay, fine. I'll just, I'll just, you know, gulp it down and then, and then never go back. So but it, it also exemplifies exactly what we say this list is, which is this isn't the greatest movies you want to sit and watch. This is That's what right. created the language right. of film. And, Forgetting there it that. is. I keep forgetting that. That's so right. You, okay. You, you can't forget it when we're talking like that. 1980, number four. Folks, if you're having a great day, maybe you found some money. Maybe you recently won a lottery and you're just feeling really, really good. Like you're on the 10 of 10s. Everything's coming up, Todd. Everything's coming up, Jeff. Watch this movie and you will be right back where you were before. <laughs> <laughs> that was the longest build up to say that you don't like a movie. I really, I sit there and I thought, well, we didn't rehearse this. I have no idea what he's talking about. By the way, have you seen that the mic really is dipping down? And I continue to move over here. You're doing great. Just hang in there. We got it. We got Wait. three more movies. Okay, hurry. Okay. <laughs> All right. We're going to jump in the AV time machine. We're going from 1980 to 1942 in third spot. Top three, folks. Top three. And I'll even do a special little sound effect here. Top three, uh, 1942, Casablanca. <laughs> Go. I, I didn't know what the sound effect would be either. And I thought, do I need to back out of the way? No, it's a ding. <laughs> so this is Michael Curtiz and Halby Wallace production of Casablanca that tells about a cynical nightclub owner who protects an old flame and her husband from Nazis in Morocco. This is a film that, if you've never seen it, be forewarned that you're going to watch something that has such a massive impact 
on films from this point going forward that you're going to go, oh, I've seen this before. You have to go back in that AV time machine to yeah. 42 where you haven't. Because this film has elements that would go on to be... The easiest for our age is to say Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. yeah. You look at what Indy is to Marion. Yep. Their background, it is so reflective. Uh, you know, you can say that Spielberg, Lucas, and Kasdan entirely went, we want this to be Rick from Casablanca. And it is. You think he wears a fedora. He's got the same kind of thing. He's cool. He's understated. But, you know, what they end up putting in that film that makes it different is he's, he's a goofball. You don't find that here. This film is just a beautifully constructed love story that you look at every element of how it works and why it works, when it works and what happens. And it really, you will see how the language of film became a language that was repeated again and again. Everybody wanted to be Casablanca. They wanted to have dialogue like Casablanca and very few people are going to be able to do what is done here. Yeah. Uh, You know, I, it's a it's a film that I can't even sit down to watch anymore because of that very reason. But <laughs> when, when I told Jeff, I said I'd seen it when I was a kid and I didn't remember it. And my wife was like, "God, when's the last time you saw Casablanca?" So we ended up watching it, and this was when we first got married twenty years ago, and we watched it, and we ended up laughing the entire time because it would come to another line. You're like, "Oh my God, I didn't yeah. realize that came from here." Yeah. And even the beats of the story about we'll always have. Paris and I, I, yeah. think of, I was like where's that damn location but, always have Paris but you've heard other people say it and we yeah. just would giggle when this film doesn't intend it so it really does take a roll your eyeballs yes. to the side and don't look at the obvious in front of you you know it it is here's looking at you kid is to Casablanca as all the close-ups of Peter O'Toole in Lawrence of Arabia he says it all the time um, and I get it I, now, Todd and I have talked. I think that's a weird thing to say to a girlfriend. I'm not trying to go down a particular road that some of you may think. But I just think it's a weird thing to the to the woman that you're in love with to to say, "Here's looking at you, kid." Um, Boy, but did, did he he was so cool oh, at that time was. that as he said, I'm sure then every guy in the world woke up and with their their voices like this, "Here's looking at you, kid," and yeah. they're like, "Ooh, yeah, yeah." The auditions, you know, <laughs> I'm thinking the only other people that could say it the way Bogart could and get casted would be Harrison Ford. Because basically, like you said, you brought the connection in from from Raiders of the Lost Ark. I think Sean Connery would be interesting, too. Oh, yeah, that'd be great. Here's looking at you, kid. That's awful. But anyway. But but ones that can't. James Earl Jones. (gasps) Here's looking at you, kid. Um, Yeah, that would be... Dennis Leary would probably be pretty bad at it. Um, (laughs) Christopher Walken would have a weird cadence to it. Um, Hey. Jimmy Stewart would be bad. Oh God! Um, but it, you know th- there are so many wonderful things, and 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 one of the one of my favorite things about going on the journey and seeing these movies and and, and getting my education um, increased on this art form is I was able to sit and enjoy this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Humphrey Bogart. One of the other things I love about 1940s and the way they talked was. Was when they get mad, they just they talk faster. And well, listen here, buddy, I I'm I'm and they never yell. They just talk fast. And and there always is a good cut low in there someplace. But uh, could we do a whole podcast in those voices? <laughs> voices, right? And then our listenership went to zero, <laughs> except for like one guy in Woboken, New Jersey, or so. Is it Woboken? Hoboken? Hoboken. Right next to Woboken. Did you know that? No. Yeah, because there was Hoboken, and then everybody got together, and they're like, "Well, we can't call ourselves Hoboken," and then. 
and then that scene. Um, move, move, move along. Any, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> right? The great thing about when I do bad comedy bits and you're not here uh-huh. is I don't have to see you. Go, I could just see your face go like. No, he's going there. He's going there. <laughs> That's when I start sending out the lifeline. Really take it, Jeff. I, I ask you, don't do it. Ladies and gentlemen, please fasten your seatbelt. It's going to be bumpy. Okay, so to get us back on the conversation yeah. of film, this comes out in 42. The penultimate film that we are, I mean, the one that is just the, the pinnacle of all pinnacles is Citizen Kane is where we're, we're, we're working towards. Yep. So this comes out one year after Citizen Kane, and already... You can yeah. see its influence in its photography because of the, the, you don't get the deep photography we'll talk about when we get to Citizen Kane. You don't get those artistic statements, but there are many that argue that the creation of film noir and those deep shadows to the light that would become a, you know an essential part of that language were birthed in Citizen Kane. And one thing I'm, one thing I want to bring up and you just reminded me of the opening shot in Casablanca. Oh God, it's been so long I don't remember it. They obviously do the map, and they're talking about people trying to get out of France and mm. you know get to. Oh, America. which those maps are also referenced in Raiders of the Lost Ark. That yes, same, yes, it's exact yeah, same that's thing. That's right. That's right. Oh, oh, oh hey. Lord! Sorry, small earthquake. Um, <laughs> there is an establishing shot of the uh, not the blue parrot, but the uh, Cafe Americana. Yep. And it's kind of it's an, it's a shot from above, mm-hmm. and and it's establishing. Okay, we're at. The bar, because I think it's even mentioned in the beginning. Oh, it is because uh, there's a little VO where the uh, Turkish police are talking about the rounding up the usual suspects because there's been a couple of Nazi uh, messengers that were killed on a train. Which usual suspects is named in reference to yes, that moment? Absolutely. And so it's just an established stuff. So you you look at it and you're like, oh, and we can I can show it to you real quick after the after we do this. Okay. But okay, Cafe Americana. And then it cuts to a, another shot of Cafe Americana, and I'm right. just I'm, I'm trying ow. I'm trying to figure out why. I don't know. I yeah. have, okay. That okay. So the unfortunate thing I, I've seen these films so many times, and you, here you have them fresher on your mind because you've watched them. I did not watch Casablanca recently. Okay. But the, the last thing I'm going to throw up yeah. with with the photography, you also look at that um, Ingrid Bergman is shot so absolutely beautifully in yeah. this film that that even creates a way that Hollywood then is going to say, here's how we're going to tell the story of how women are shot going yeah. forward. I mean, yeah. you look at how film noir would then look at women and you go back to this moment and you can see that is the point. Yeah. So again, if this list is just to be a list of how does the language of film get established, yeah. this film has to be where it is. I agree. I agree with its placement. It is a film. It was enjoyable, and I have watched it more than once. So, um, congrats. Love the movie. 1942, third place, Casablanca. Now we're moving into... I did not re-watch this film as I was I was doing other homework. Um, but we will uh, discuss either way, because it's a very uh, important film. 1972 is the year. We're in the second spot, and it is The Godfather. <laughs> I'm sorry, is it about an Asian crime family? You put this big Asian gong. What the hell was that? This is just to confuse everybody. Wake everybody up. I, I don't know what just happened. Um, okay, so I actually did just watch this film. Um, right. I knew it was coming, and I went to my daughter, and I said, you've got to see this movie. She sat down. I don't want to see it. By the end of it, she is destroyed and loves it. And here's why. This is, tells the story of an aging patriarch of an organized crime dynasty who transfers control of his clandestine empire to his reluctant son. 
It's directed by Francis Ford Coppola. Coppola had already won a, an Academy Award for writing the screenplay for Patton at this time, and that kind of gave him a, a, you know, he had had other things ahead of this, but it really gave him an opening to Hollywood to say, I think I can do these kind of things. Yeah. So why this film is so masterful is exactly what I just talked about with my my daughter um, watching it. It is... It's, it feels like the, the name of the film is The Godfather, and you think that it's about Brando and his overseeing of this crime empire, but really what this film is about is the corruption, destruction, deterioration of Michael Corleone, played by Al Pacino. Right. It is about one man's descent into hell, because you open with a, I mean, just a lovingly shot um, Italian family wedding that feel the sepia toned uh, film yeah. is being used it's so nostalgic but you're seeing an italian family in ways that you really haven't seen it so coppola is really bringing his experience and understanding of an italian lifestyle to this mm-hmm. this is all intercut back and forth with the godfather being pulled away to do, to do basic parts of uh, of his job which is to talk to people and i listen i'm here to protect you and uh, at some point i may call upon you that's one thing we meet Michael, and Michael's an innocent boy in a, a military uniform with his girlfriend, who's Diane Keaton, who is very waspy compared to his Italian background. And it, we get time and time again that Michael knows of his father's business, but he's like, I'm not a part of that. The film from that point becomes, how do we take this man of virtue and do this? So I think of, if you like Breaking Bad, which is a man of virtue who's torn apart, yeah. it's the same exact story arc. It's exactly that. This is a... This is epic filmmaking on a scale that you just can't get. And, and, and I really did battle with how is this above Casablanca? Mm-hmm. Because Casablanca being the 42 film that creates so many things after it, what I, why I think this film ends up number two is because of what I said. It is an epic film. Mm-hmm. And this is a master storyteller taking his time, giving his experiences. Again, there's a, there's a lovely moment later on where, where a man stops in the middle of it to teach Michael how to make meatballs and pasta. And it's... It, it's coming to a moment we know tension's coming, but he stops and gives that detail. And it's there are rarely filmmakers that are brave enough to say, "Hang on, I know you want to know about this. I'm going to give you this." Right. It's frame for frame throughout. It's a great film. Now, if you ask me, I would put Godfather Two ahead of it because of its ping pong back and forth with history. So I was just getting ready to ask you that. But I, I without question, that that's my personal opinion. Yeah. I don't think that you can probably do it again because of what this means when it comes along. This is the second golden era of Hollywood. You had the 40s, you had the 70s. This is the era at which we, we began to hear names like Scorsese, yeah. Coppola, Spielberg, Lucas, De Palma. I could go on and on. These people that basically then forged the path until we get the next wave, which is the Tarantinos of the world. Right. This film, especially when you consider it, Francis only had one major directing effort ahead of that and it was called the rain people and it was pretty much a failure and he's given the reins to do this right and what does he do oh my god it goes on to win best picture it is just a monumental film i agree with you 100 percent um godfather 2 is at 32nd place mm-hmm. well jeez, how, how great is that if you're coppola to be number two and 32 i know i know wow. but i still think the second should be up closer because while Godfather wets your palate, mm-hmm. Godfather 2 is a whole meal. 
and um, but but not to take away from from it. I mean, you got to start somewhere, and it has been a while since I've seen it. There's so many iconic scenes and lines uh, and memorable um, establishing shots and whatnot uh, with this. So. Um, yeah, second, I think, is a, a good place for it. And I, and I understand why 2 is not ranked higher than it, because it is the first of the, of the series. I'd never thought about it, but these top three films all have endings that are an ending, yet they're open-ended. You think of Casablanca with uh, him putting them on the plane, and, and he, he walks away with his friend, and that's the end. Yep. You think of this, where it's that Kay, Michael's wife, has said, did you kill this individual who is did you kill your brother-in-law essentially yeah. and he's like i'll allow you one time to ask me about the family business and she asks again he goes no and as she walks away feeling good the camera pulls back and we see a door without all the people coming around to kiss his ring and Kay looks at it and the door shut in her face in the movie yeah that's no resolution it's so heavy and then we talk about Kane, which we'll get to i mean all i never thought about it these films all have iconic endings as yeah. well yeah yeah, wow. memorable, memorable final shots. Mm-hmm. I really don't have anything else to, to comment on. I think Godfather's a film, too, where I think a lot of people have seen it. Uh, and, and uh, I, I, yeah, there's just isn't anything else that really, really catches my eye for 1972's The Godfather in second place. Ladies and gentlemen, we are at number one. The year is 1941. The film is Citizen Kane, and we promise we will limit our conversation as we could be here all day. Take it away, Todd. Okay. I want to give the context about this film and why, why this whole list, what we've done, came to this point. Right. It's over beers many times. Jeff and I would talk about what we've seen, and we will famously have moments of, oh, yeah, you saw that? Oh, uh, yeah, it sucked. And we'll do that to each other. And I kept, it kept coming back to that mm-hmm. Jeff would kind of kick me in the the testicular area <laughs> of, yeah, yeah, Citizen Kane, well, it's not that great. How can it be number one? And we would always do these things. Now, Citizen Kane to me, I don't remember the first time I saw it, how old I was. I remember the first time I saw it. Um, my dad had known that I was awakening to this love of film. And he's, you know, he said, you got to watch this. This is considered to be the greatest film ever. Now, I don't know why. My dad doesn't get into the art of it. He doesn't right. want to learn those things. He he just likes... My dad wants every movie to be a movie. Um, hmm. Transport me. Give me a feeling. Give me an idea. So I sit down to watch Citizen Kane. It was on an old, crappy VHS copy. Really bad. But right away, I could see, oh my God, this is entirely different than every other film. And I, I offer that because I'm pretty sure that's what Jeff eventually thinks when he sees it. So let me say this. It... It tells famously the story of a publishing tycoon that following his death, news reporters scramble to discover the meaning of his final word, which is Rosebud. This film, you have to remember that in 41, film had been around for a little while. It's, it's not a new novelty anymore. It's beginning to say, oh, we have something here we could do. So what, is, what does Orson Welles do? Orson Welles famously grows up as a child prodigy. He goes on to direct Broadway shows that are groundbreaking as the Nazi revolution's occurring. And now I can't remember which, God, I can't remember which Shakespearean play that is. It's Hamlet or something like that. He tells it and puts the bad guys in Nazi uniforms. Mm. So, and he, he is already telling people the Nazis are evil before they become quote unquote evil. He lights it starkly with beams of light, which again, here comes what happens to Citizen Kane. He then translates that on to being on the radio, which Orson Welles creates and delivers argue. I would almost say inarguably 
what is considered the great be the greatest radio broadcast ever, which yes. is War of the Worlds, where according to folklore, there's there's a lot of people who say this isn't entirely true, but according to folklore, he created it in such a way that it would they would be playing, oh, here's Jeff Legrone's orchestra. <laughs> they're going to play in the mood, and they're playing it, and then all of a sudden you'd hear, tur, tur, tur. this just uh, in, folks. We're sorry a, to interrupt this. Yeah, thing. unidentified object has been seen over blah, 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 yeah. And so people are listening to that, and at that time they have no way to, to check it. They're, what, they wouldn't break in, and he, he brilliantly says, what I want to do is to create terror by destroying what you think is safe. Right. And so what does that do? Hollywood immediately goes, ooh, if he can do that. So, and long story short, RKO gives him a contract at the time that is unheard of. Yep. He gets everything he wants. Even today. To, today, you ha- to get this kind of contract, you have to be Spielberg and Scorsese and all these yeah. kind of people. But the, basically what that contract says is you can do whatever you want, you can tell whatever stories you want, and you have final cut. Final cut meaning that the film that is released is the version you want. So he famously kind of messes around with a, a few stories, uh, Heart of Darkness, which is the, the Joseph Conrad novel that becomes uh, Apocalypse Now. is something that he, he dallied with. I mean, they really couldn't figure out how to do it, but he was par- paired with Herman Mankiewicz, who would eventually go on to write the screenplay with him, and they were both enamored with uh, William Randolph Hearst, mm-hmm. as well as a, a few other paper magnets at the time. Th- these men that just essentially controlled the nation because they controlled the news. Mm-hmm. And so they decided to tell this story of what happens when someone who seemingly has everything dies and apparently wanted something that no one understands. And what Orson Welles basically said, there's a famous quote where he said, you've just given me the greatest train set that any boy could ever get. Yep. Because he walked in, it was like, oh my God, I've got all this stuff. So what does he do? He goes and he gra- he grabs one of the great, great cinematographers of all time, Greg Toland, who had worked with John Ford, who would go on to be Orson Welles' hero. Orson would screen John Ford films such as Stagecoach, and according to Orson, I think he said he watched it 40-something times in a row over a succession of two to three weeks. Hmm. And he said it was his film school. So he he's taking the conventions that he sees other people do, he's taking these things he understands on stage, and he's marrying them together. He goes to Greg Tolan and starts telling him, I want to light things this way. I told the story to Jeff yesterday, and I think yeah. he said it before, that, that Tolan just followed him and just said, okay, okay. Well, somebody eventually went and said, uh, that's Greg Tolan. He's your director of photography. You don't tell him what to light. He tells you how he's going to light it when you tell him what you want to see. But Tolan was that kind of guy. He famously told Wells, I could teach you everything I know about filming three and a half hours, really to get down to the fact that here's here's the language. But but there, too, he said he said that he liked learning from people Absolutely. that didn't know what they were that necessarily what they were doing. And I think that's the key to it is you yeah. had somebody like Tolan who knew everything on how to cinematically tell a story. There's a simple language in film that if you're going to have a character talking to someone on their right, that they look left to right, the other person looks right to left. Yeah. Now, you can break those conventions, and we, Jeff and I talked about a few things that are doing that these days, but usually that's what it is. And so he, they would shoot things, and Orson would have him shoot it wrong, and he had to teach him these things. But what Tolan loved was that Orson came in with these ideas of, I want this reporter who is on the track of this i never want to see his face lit i only want to see him in silhouette uh he also comes up with the themes that look if i stage this on um on a broadway stage the people so what it becomes is you think about pulp fiction where it's back and forth and you know it's it's a non-linear story that's what citizen kane does is it goes and this man will interview a friend and it jumps back in time and in that that scene it may jump ahead years 
but the person who's always remembering, or the majority of the time, the person who's remembering is framed screen right. Yeah. And Orson said, that's the kind of thematic stuff if I put on stage, I'm going to repeat. And I'll never say it to the audience, that person's here, but that's just right. a conceit I do. He uses things like that. There's a famous staging at the first of it where uh, when Charles Foster Kane's mother is basically giving him away, that it is staged so that she is the person effectively remembering the moment. She's hard right of the screen. The other two men are passively to the left, and Charles Foster Kane is in the middle. He will repeat that very staging often to reiterate that, once again, either Charles Foster Kane is lost, he doesn't understand what's happening. He just repeats these things, and no film really to that point had ever said, I'm going to thematically tell the same visual image and put it in so it tells a story itself. Um, I could go on forever, and that's why I'm going to now look at Jeff and just say, <laughs> so this whole thing is that we do this. Yeah. You put it on. You you know the time has come. Yep. Are you are you hesitant when you put it on? No. I'm fully prepared. Okay. Tell me uh, about your experience. I purchased it. I did not rent it. Awesome. Because so, I knew I, I, I you know would want to be able to uh, uh, go back and review. I watched it a total of four times and then two times with the commentary. Um so here's here's how of uh, an idiot I am. Um, I didn't know until <laughs> until well into the movie that Orson Welles plays Kane. You know, I'm like, who's this young guy that's just kicking ass on the screen? And when he's there, he when he's young in it, he yeah. is beautiful. Yeah, just he's so young and beautiful. So there's so many things, and, and like Todd said, and you know, we've we've even tossed around some ideas about. Uh, you know whether we do a, a minute by minute of this or whatnot. So I, I want to keep the the kind listeners' uh, time and ears in mind. But I, I'll just kind of run through a couple things. Um, the, to learn that this was his first movie that he wrote, produced, acted in, and everything else, and to to hit every note, and to have every scene, every frame of that movie, screams love and thoughtfulness for the for the viewer and it's just beautifully done artistically a masterpiece um one of the things that really brought me in is the movie starts with a at the, at the time back then you often would have a newsreel before you'd watch a movie and it give you an update well the newsreel starts and it basically talks about the death of of Kane and real quick the, the news march is called uh, news on the March. News on the and March. It's, and it's a it is an immediate ripoff of Time at that time was not Time yes. magazine. It, they did Time on the March, I believe right. is what they called it. And so it was it immediately meant to be almost a satirical approach. But the genius of putting it there is they they laid the groundwork for who yeah. he is. So you never have to question that. That at that point you don't you understand him. It's like it's that establishing shot on Sunset Boulevard with the body in the pool. That's it's exactly, like, absolutely, yeah. that's brilliant. So you're, so you're just, you're there and you go, oh, okay, this is what it's about. You know, you you often say this to me. That's a really good point. <laughs> that's really well said. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and, and, I, and I learned from the, from the um, commentaries that, and, and this is what I like about the way that Orson Welles worked with his cinematographer. There was no egos. This is his first film. So he's he's working. He wants to work with everybody. Everybody everybody wants to work with him. And there there isn't you know I've done seventeen film kind of stuff going on. So he's obviously working with his uh, his director of uh, Greg Tolan. Yeah, Tolan, and working well. And the other thing he did was for the news talkie, they uh, or the news flash, 
he actually gave it to RKO's news department and said, hey, this is what I need. So it drips everything that you've ever seen if you've seen a news flash before a movie. And, and a fun aside in that, I, I can't resist the trivia, to make it look like either new footage or old, there were times when both Greg Tolan and Robert Wise, the, the man that edited came but also would go on to direct West Side Story and Sound of Music. Right. They decided, oh, we this needs to look more like archival footage, and they would literally take that piece of film and drag it on the floor through the edit studio so that it had scratches and things. That's how much love and care went into getting yeah. this right. And, and and I think it was I think it was when it was screened in France. Mm-hmm. The people were complaining because they didn't think the film was recent. They thought they, it was yeah, old because it had all the scratches. They on didn't it. get that because nobody in their right mind back then would drag film across the floor. And you know, even in that that. Thing. I don't know if you caught this in the commentary. I hope you did. There is even an absolute brilliant moment where it's almost like someone has shot an image of Kane in a wheelchair through a fence. Yes. And it's very handheld voyeuristic. Yes. Almost looks like us taking stuff. Yeah. with You didn't put footage like that in a yeah. film at this yeah. time. You're right. And it's just like jarring when yeah. you think about this being 41. So you get through that, and then I, I was talking to Todd yesterday about it, and then you're, you there's a, a great shot of you, you're pulling back from the being inside and watching the news reel or the news flash, and then there's a side shot where you're seeing it's now projected on a wall. So right there, without any, w- without any real crazy tricks or gimmicks or, uh, you know, uh, gimmicks is right. You, that's it. But 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 yeah. So so you you're pulling out and you're noticing now. Okay, you're you're now in the room where everybody's been watching that, and the entire scene is a bunch of reporters that are fi- trying to figure out his last words, which were rosebud, and it's all the only thing that's lighting the room is coming from the projection booth, mm-hmm. and you don't see people's faces. You aren't, you know, but you're drawn into it because I think one thing that really um, led Orson to, to, to produce this masterpiece is the fact he had worked in radio. So he had come from a medium where he didn't have a camera and he had to effectively communicate and get stories going just by the use of sound. So the shot itself is masterfully done. It's beautiful. But the beautiful thing is, is you're not just it, it, any other director, any other uh, production would have just gone ahead and cut to a guy saying, hey, we need to figure that out, Bob. And Bob right. goes, yeah. No, it's a whole conversation. You don't see their faces, and it builds the mis- the, the mystery and mystique of what's what they're trying to do and where the film's going to go. I mean, leading up to these moments, and, and Jeff, it's one of the reasons I think maybe we do need to at least discuss a way to break down Kane, whether that's 10-minute yeah. chunks at a time or simply we go along in the film and here are things I want to talk about so they right. could end up being as long as we want. But... This film has already done things to this point. When we go in for the the early things where we're seeing his palatial estate, as the camera continues, it doesn't zoom, it doesn't uh, push. They're cut in closer to the castle where he lives, and it's so much attention has been paid that there's one light on in the castle. Yep. And every cut that gets closer, the light of that room stays in the exact same place. Yeah, that was cool. And it keeps going and keeps going. And so they're doing, He's what he's doing at this point, and I think the reason I bring that up to what you're saying, he, uh, he effectively, in that opening moment, the newsreel and this, establishes the language for the film. Yeah. And that you didn't do in 41. You right. didn't say, I'm going to do these, I'm going to do things that are sleight of hand. That was the thing. Orson was also a magician. He understood yes. half the time I want to do this kind of stuff. So, I mean... We can go on at nauseum. Yeah, there, there. This is the first time where they really use special effects to the extent in a in a dramatic film. You'd had King Kong. Yeah, 
But this was the first one where they kind of went, well, I want to take some of the things they learned with King Kong and I want to put it in a dramatic film yeah. to the effect that they do. And I mean, just, you know, when you and I were talking about the fact that, you know, he drilled a hole yeah. in the floor of the studio with a jackhammer. With a jackhammer so the camera would be low. I mean, we're talking about, and, and you and I talked a little bit about yesterday, you know, so often in film, when we're in a unique, when we're in an environment, we're in a room and we're watching actors, it's generally shot as if we were standing in the room looking right. at those actors. What Orson Welles does so beautifully in this film is by lowering that, and, and, and I'm sure I would love to be a fly on the wall and they're like, really? Right. <laughs> you want us to lower it even more? And yeah. What it does, and, and what Todd and I discussed uh, yesterday was, you know, he at least understood and put forth the idea that you don't necessarily have to have the perspective of another person standing in the room. Right. And when you get out of that that usual shot, it really affects the the the, the drama that's being displayed in Bingo. that scene. Um, and that that scene between being between Kane and his longtime friend, who the longtime friend ends up being the story's version of what Kane should have been, wanted to been, right. uh, wanted to be, excuse me. And so he's confronting. The, the, that's the thing that Kane continues to confront throughout. Rosebud may be what he wanted, but he's continued to confront the things that he never could be because effectively, a man that had everything, his life was never his to control. Right. And. Now, here's one thing that I, we talk about the radio elements of this. Yeah. And I, I do think, going back to that moment in the projection booth, you have to remember not only the radio, but also the Broadwayness, Because yes. that is staged so... Yeah, you're right. I mean, and it's that those lights that are coming from the projection booth are beams of light. They're harsh. Yes. And they create th these massively gorgeous silhouettes. But the, the moment that I think of with radio shows that I wondered if you would catch, and I, I'm sure you heard it on the commentary there's a famous moment when as he's trying to run for office he's exposed for having an affair and the man he's running against is a mob boss jim gettys and gettys finds out about the, the mistress and sends a note so that kane's wife everybody will go over to the mistress's place which once again we get another echo of the four person staging it's yep. exactly the same with kane in the middle he doesn't he's not in control but Famously, Orson broke his ankle while shooting the scene. You don't see it on, on lens, but as he runs out, he screams at Gettys, who Gettys has basically said, you're going to pull out of the race, you know, you, you can't win or I'll destroy your life. This will destroy everything. Kane knows he's lost, but he screams, I'll see you in Sing Sing, Gettys. Sing Sing. And as he does that, Gettys steps out, closes the door, and uh, Kane's Sing Sing becomes the of a passing car, the yeah. horn. And those are the elements that no one had thought about. Seamless edits of audio that would somehow transcend the we're inside to out. How do we make this yeah. without the... Because you could you could make the, the, choice of, the choice of him going sing, sing, shut the door, and it goes sing, sing, yeah. and it cuts him off. Mm -hmm. Instead, Orson understands, I want it to continue, but I want it to be real. Eight million different ways to do it, and he picked the absolute perfect way to... Because you're right, and and a lot of those, the way that in a lot of the films back then, the way of thinking was seen. You know, and we yeah. always joke, whenever whenever there everybody's out with me, and Jeff goes on one of his little comedy routines. You know, if it hits a dead spot, then generally somebody will go and seen. You know, like okay, <laughs> yeah. that's good. But he, by by weaving in those elements, it it it, it you never feel like the the movie's actually taking a break or they you know that they, they're just like okay well we're done with that and we'll cut to bob in a newsroom right it's all woven together um 
which which basically brings me to because again I, I think we do need to do something with this film and, and talk about it because I, I know the kind listener will be like okay guys but I, I will say this and so it, since since the uh, since the whole reason why we did this is I had uh, shown my ignorance and 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 uh, picked on you about this film it uh, I'm so glad I'm so glad we did this I I I think this film um, should be where it's at. Folks, uh, you know, again, as I said earlier, you've, you've listened to us talk about these hundred films. Um, there's some great ones to see. There's a lot of adventures to experience a lot of, uh, a lot of things that, uh, in, in my mind, this movie has, has changed my perspective on life. And, and to me, not only was it a film, it was an experience to know that, that someone can, 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 can go into an art form like movies and do it his way. Yeah. In a lot of ways, Orson Welles echoes Mozart to me. Yeah, Mozart in his day was a child prodigy. He wrote his first symphony when he was six. When I was six, I think all I did was just fall down. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm 45 and I'm still you You're know still falling down. Big fat donut on the <laughs> I'm falling down and a big fat donut on on writing symphonies, but. W- Amadeus did things because it was the way that he wanted to create it and do it. And his subject matter matter was sometimes uh, he was often edited and corralled because he wanted to do things his way. And and one of the one of the scenes that 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 that, that makes me think about this film is when um, he uh, folks were having a small problem here. Hold on, stand by. That's never done that before. That's weird. Um, when Mozart is talking to the king and, you know, he gets his review and he says, what do you think? And he says, too many notes. And then Mozart says, you know, well, which ones would you like me to remove? <laughs> Orson did this, got this deal, which is very rarely uh, obtained in Hollywood, knocked it out of the park, and then it was shelved. Yeah. Do a lot to Hearst, but as as well, just, you know, people were like, how dare he? He's 25 years old. So it, it, it famously loses, it's nominated for a lot of Academy Awards, but it goes on to lose to John Ford, Orson Welles' hero, uh, How Green Was My Valley, which is a good film, but yeah. probably amongst the worst that Ford ever made. It's horribly <laughs> sentimental, boringly shot, and I believe in Ford, even Ford came out and said, no. Yeah. But this film famously wins one Academy Award, and that is for screenplay, and it wins because of Herman Mankiewicz, which Hollywood loved and said, okay, yeah. we got to do it. This would be the only thing that Orson would win. I, I want to, I want to, for my end, I'm going to try and end this with, with I want to sure. give perspective on, on Wells. Can I say one thing about the screenplay? Yeah. yeah. I, not to interrupt you, I, need to, I promise it's short, but one of the things I learned about it that really told me about the character of Orson Wells mm-hmm. is he didn't have to share screenplay credit. No, he didn't. He could have just put written by Orson, Orson Wells. Th- that's how big his contract was, that if yeah. he wanted to say this, and it, it, it there have been a lot of famous articles that said he didn't write anything, but then Peter Bogdanovich, the great director yeah. who was a great friend of Wells, actually came out and proved that yeah, he did write quite quite a bit of this. So it was yeah. a co-write. But go ahead, you're right. But I just I just like that about him. That he's like, no, we'll we'll share the we'll share the credit for it. Well, he, that's the funny thing. Hollywood looked at him as some kind of egomaniac, but the truth was he wasn't. He was a lovely share. Now he of course famously was a, a turd a lot of the time you can find just as we listen to the Casey Kasem thing this morning where he loses it while he's yeah. recording there are recordings of Orson where he's just blowing people up while he's recording those famous wine commercials Orson 
steps in, gets this, and like you said, creates an, an audacious opening statement. Now, he did not create much of what he saw. What he did was say, people have done this, this, and this. What if I took this and this and this? But that's oftentimes, you think of what the Beatles created. The Beatles, the reason they're revolutionaries, they're bringing classical arrangements to rock and roll, which at that time had never been heard. It's that same kind of thing. I'm going to take all these things I think, and I'm going to put them together into a melting pot, and I'm going to create something new that in turn changes everything. Now, Orson would go on for the rest of his life to chase this very moment. He has many great films. His next film is The Magnificent Ambersons. He basically goes off and is sent down to, oh God, I'm going to say it wrong, Rio de Janeiro, that's what it is, to do a documentary. Really, the studio sent him away so that they could get the film, cut it, destroy some of the negative, and put it in. <laughs> and suddenly you've got this great, gorgeously shot thing, and at the end it's, it looks like a typical Hollywood film where it's flat. Yeah, That happened to him. He made Lelish from Shanghai, which he was married to Rita Hayworth at the time, famously cut, cut her long hair, made it blonde. Hollywood thought he was a jerk for it. They ruined that film. It goes on and on and on and on and on that this man struggled, but he has other films that absolutely, to me, should be on this list. When right. we, uh, you were asking me, we're going to talk at some point about three other yeah. films that we feel don't belong, uh, that aren't here that should. Yeah. He has what is considered by many to be one of the greatest film noirs of all time, starring Charlton Heston and Janet Lee and Marlene Dietrich called Touch of Evil. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, it is a statement upon statements. And you look and you think this man never quit innovating we forgot him. He right. didn't forget to give to us. Right. Uh, yeah. And just, I mean, we could go on and on. Um, but, but so I say to you, I shake your hand here in the studio. I say, you are absolutely right. You have opened up a whole portion of my, my mind, uh, that was not there. Uh, I think this, uh, movie, uh, film deserves to be where it's at. And I think people should watch it. So again, to you, I yes. say, you are absolutely right. Thank you to Orson Welles. Rest in peace. I say this. Do you think that he's rolling over <laughs> in his grave right now? I think Orson had a fabulous sense of humor, and I think he would be giggling he like right it. now. He yeah. is. He is the best. So the final thoughts on this, and I've mentioned to Todd, in some ways I wish we would have gone from 1 to 100, because it's, after seeing this, I'm able to pick up so much more. I saw this, and then I saw Singing in the Rain, and I can say after seeing Citizen Kane and changing my perspective on film, it made singing in the rain even better. Yeah. But in true fashion, like the final scene in Citizen Kane with Rosebud, mm-hmm. you've also made me realize award shows and lists mm-hmm. are pretty dumb. Yeah, they're, they're, they're a waste of your time. The only thing, the only reason that I ever go back to the AFI is they what they want, and this is every year, yeah. here are achievements in film. Yeah. And that it is... So that we can look back, here's a time capsule that says these 10 films made a difference and defined what we thought was important this year. Yeah, That's the way they approach these, and that's, the to me, the reason this list is at least worth talking about. Absolutely. You could subjectively say Kane doesn't belong there if you want to. If you could show me something else and why you think it's there, great. Yeah. That's, that's an argument to be had. But these people, they try to arrange it so it, there's a purpose. And yeah. it's not, and the winner is, whatever. That's not what it's about. Exactly. And, and I think to try and categorize, and I understand why lists are made, because it's, you know, we, we like bite-sized, easy-digested right. stuff. But 
to me, it was such a such a uh, eye opening and awakening for me to watch that film, mm-hmm. have it change my perspective so much on filmmaking, and just what goes in in the art form, and then to finally realize and equate it to the end about Rosebud Bud being the sled that you know what in the end, these are all great movies that have their individual uh, achievements and credits, and and beautifulness and sometimes ugliness, and that you know. To, to try and list and, and, and bless the people that are that are faced with doing this every year because, of course, it's everybody's going to say, well, that doesn't deserve everything. You heard Todd and I say, well, we don't think Raging Bull should be in the top five. But in the end, the important thing, and I want the kind listener to walk away, is go see some of these movies. Enjoy them. And hopefully by listening to the podcast and Todd's uh, very extensive knowledge of it, you'll be able to walk away with something a little better or, or recognize or see a cut or, or hear something and walk away with a little different perspective on it uh, you know, and, from now and on. To be fair, I, I think that what you just said, if you begin to watch film like this, you, you'll begin to see these things. Here's the great thing, though. You don't have to to enjoy film. You can watch Kane as a movie. Absolutely. You can watch it to enjoy it. Enjoy it. If you want to see a serious thing, it's still there. The art of film is the art of illusion. Nobody's really speaking nobody is actually moving. You're seeing 24 images per second move before you. It is all a magic show. Yeah. And that's what it is, is how do we, how do we do magic? And this is magic. Well said. I'm going to give us a little round of applause here. We did it. As we did it. The kind listener did it. You managed to stay with us. And, uh, okay, folks, that's enough. That's okay. Thank you. Jeez, Louise, they got you over. I know they just such a bitch. Well, I mean, they're just, they go on and on for 20 seconds. Um, so kind listeners. So here's what we're going to do. Um, next week we would like, we'd love your emails and feedback, tweet us, whatever. Um, and we want to, we would like the following from, from our listeners, your favorite three films on this list. And you don't have to get into why, and I mean, you're more than welcome to communicate that with us, but I don't want this to feel like a huge homework assignment. So let's out of the hundred, pick your top three. And then Todd and I are going to each pick and and you guys can do this too pick three movies that you think should be on here that are not that are not yes <laughs> pick three that you think are on here which are on here um because i think the next discussion just to sum all of this up is is just to kind of because there's some films that that i i think uh would be interesting to discuss as far as being on here absolutely and then i promise we will find something else than movies to talk about we, you know, we do appreciate everybody sticking with us. We, I, I know that my love of film is not something everybody shares. You don't look at movies this way, but this has been, you, you've been able to hear Jeff and I tear this apart to the point. This is two friends enjoying this. I, yeah. I hope that some of you got something out of it. And, and I just want to say, because Jeff leads this so often, since I started off the show, I'm going to try and be the one to surmise it. The fact that you guys stick with us, that we hear from you, that you're actually invested in this as much as we are, means the world to us. So thank you for sticking by us as we went through 100 movies. 100. It it, it was a lot, but it was a lot of fun, Jeff. Yes. We'd do it. We'd do it all over again. (laughs) No. No, we won't. (laughs) We're back next week with Movie 100. I echo your thoughts. Thank you so much. Great job in bringing in the show. Kind listener. Email us, Jeff, info, Todd, at theotherkindradio.com. And uh, feel free to give us a rating or a like on whatever uh, platform you're listening to. Uh, 
the yeah, I, like I said last week, I feel like I've run a marathon without really without exercising. Um, enjoy your week. We'll see you next Sunday. We are the other kind radio. The other kind radio. The other kind radio. The other kind.